Who experienced more racism growing up, Barack Obama or Bruce Springsteen? Coming up on the Anti-Woke Podcast. So I was listening to a New Yorker the other day, and they said something interesting about the subway. That there have been some incidents of people being pushed onto the tracks and killed by the train, and now whenever you go to the subway station, everyone is crowded into the middle as far away from the tracks as possible because they are afraid of getting pushed onto the tracks and killed. And I guess the famous case, there was a lady who got killed. So I went looking for an article about her to hear more. And it was kind of hard to find it because someone else had been recently pushed onto the tracks. But anyways, I was able to go find not the one from yesterday, but the one from a week ago. And I think it was like a 41-year-old Asian woman. And that made my spider sense tingle. So I looked through a bunch of articles about the incident, trying to find out who did it. And a lot of them, I think, you know, they'd just say a man. They wouldn't say anything. They certainly didn't describe the man. And then then one of the articles slipped up, you know. I caught him slipping. And they didn't put a picture of the perpetrator, the murderer, but they said his name. And so, you know, a quick... Google image search did bring up a picture to go with him, and uh, yeah, it was a black man. It just kind of made me wonder, like, you know, the subway station, they're usually underground, or always underground, and so there'd be like this group of people just clustered in the center, you're just shaking from fear, and someone's coming down the escalator, like you see their shoes first, then you see their pants, oh, it's pants, it's a man, oh my gosh, and then, you know, you see more of their body, more of their body, and then eventually you see, oh my God, it's a white man. And this crowd of fearful people just think that they're about to get murdered. I mean, I don't know. Is that, you know, that's what the media wants, I guess. Are they really getting that result? Heather McDonald was on the Gad Sad podcast the other day. They're talking about the usual stuff, how, uh, you know, people falsely accuse America of being racist and sexist when... It's the least racist country on the planet, and it really ain't very sexist. But they're talking about, even though all the data and all the evidence and even the examples contradict that stuff, people still believe it. Why do they do that? So first off, there's tons of people that think America's racist, but you know they've never been told the data, they never looked up the data. Gad Sad's example is someone who follows LeBron James on Twitter, LeBron James says, America's racist. That person is like, oh, I didn't know that, but now I know it. Sweet. And then they can go about their day. They've learned an interesting fact. Only took them a few seconds, and uh, that's it for them. And, you know, they may not follow LeBron James. Maybe they get it from the New York Times. But uh, if you go to some rich, white, liberal neighborhood in San Francisco and throw a rock and hit someone in the head, uh, that's the kind of person you'll hit. They just don't know know better. They just Someone told them it, they believed it, done. Now, for people who have been exposed to the evidence, um, but they still believe stuff that's false on the subject, and this actually goes for any topic, right? Any topic. There's people who believe false things, whatever. That's the state of humanity. It's a bunch of, it's a bunch of apes who believe false things and won't change their mind even when they're shown the truth. But according to Dr. Sad, there could be a evolutionary reason for this. Like, lying to someone and getting them to believe whatever it was you said is a very useful thing. Like, I didn't cheat on you, honey. And then boom, you saved your marriage. 
And then the evolution perspective on this is that throughout the history of humanity, um, there was a, there's a couple kinds of liars. There's liars who you could tell they were lying because you could tell they didn't believe what they were saying. And the, you know those liars probably got murdered. And so we're not, we're not descended from those liars. And then the other kind of liar is a liar who believes their own lies. You know, your facial expressions and actions will just match up with what you've been saying a lot better that way. Like, I've known a couple uh, compulsive liars throughout my life, and uh, they absolutely believe what they're saying. I mean, they can just, I mean, they can, I mean, they could just say, aliens landed in my backyard yesterday, and boom, all of a sudden, they would believe it. They believe their own lies. They're so good at lying, I guess, that they believe their own lies. You know, it's just a human brain thing. And then Dr. Sad, he brings up a couple uh, big words that are kind of fun, which are deontological and consequentialist. And I'm not sure how to use these words perfectly in sentences, but I'll move on anyways. But apparently, if you have a deontological frame of mind, then what's important to you is the truth. And if you're a consequentialist, What's important is the consequences, you know, the outcome of whatever you're believing. And the example he gives is you may be totally deontological and believe in the truth all the time. But when your wife says, do I look fat in this dress? All of a sudden you become a consequentialist and you say, no, honey, you look beautiful. And that's because the consequences of speaking the truth, you know, would not be good. And so, you know... If you're a consequentialist, then basically no amount of evidence or data or examples matters. Let's continue the uh, wife in the dress analogy. If your wife is like, do I look fat in this dress? And you say no. And then your wife was like, I've taken a hundred pictures of different women in this same dress. And they all look less fat than me. Now, do I look fat in this dress? You still say, no, you don't, honey. And I will say, consequences are important. Like, do you want to lose your job? And I think this is kind of the reason for, you know, why are CEOs of giant corporations, uh, presidents of universities, founders of big tech companies, you know, why do they follow the narrative and even push the narrative? It's because when you're at the top of a cor you know, corporation or a university or whatever, you can fire anyone you want, and no one can fire you, except... If you get called racist, you may end up getting fired somehow. Like Mark Zuckerberg, who owns Facebook. If he came out and he said, you know, I looked at the stats, and police are not killing black people, and Black Lives Matter is a conspiracy theory, I mean, he'd get fired. He would have to leave the company. He'd still be rich, but he'd have to leave. And, you know, if he's like, look, look, everyone, here is the data. What I said is the truth. It wouldn't matter at all. Another funny thing that happened in real life was, uh, I think it was the president of Princeton, some lady, she said that Princeton was racist. And she didn't mean that she was racist or that any person who works at Princeton was racist. You know, she was virtue signaling. But the Trump administration opened an investigation into Princeton about being racist. But it didn't go anywhere. I mean, you don't hear people saying that kind of stuff as much anymore. But back around, you know, the George Floyd uh, summer of love, the way to show that you were truly not racist 
was to say that you were racist, even though you didn't mean it. Another interesting example is uh, President Obama. Like, he came from Chicago, you know, where the, the gun violence, the black-on-black murders are crazy. You know, you can, you can either call it black, uh, gun violence or black-on-black murder, so you know what people choose. But when he started, you know, when he started running for president and earlier on in his presidency, he's like, you know, these frickin' criminals are killing black kids, you know, toddlers, whatever. This is terrible. This is this cannot be abided. But as time and time went on, I don't know if he got the memo or he just, you know, he believed his own lies or other people's lies. And I think, you know, I think by today he's like, oh yeah, that's all white supremacy. I was thinking about him because there's this thing going on where. Um, Neil Young, the famous classic rock musician, gave an ultimatum to Spotify and said, you have to take down the Joe Rogan podcast, otherwise, or else, take off all my music. And that's because Joe Rogan has had some people on, he's had some like doctors on, he said some stuff about COVID that people don't like, whatever. Not stuff I care about. I mean, everyone should do their own research, figure out what's best for themselves. But in any case, Spotify is really trying to get into the podcast world. They think that's where the money is to be made. And so they said, okay, Neil, we'll, we'll, take, we'll take all your music off of Spotify. And see, I, I, I never listened to Joe Rogan that much because he's too long. But anyways, I used to subscribe to him, even though I didn't listen to him. But it became a Spotify exclusive, and I'm not going to deal with whatever that means. But it made me wonder, like, what other Spotify exclusives are there? So I looked up a list of their exclusive podcasts on Spotify. And the top two were uh, Michelle Obama. She's got her own podcast now. And then Bruce Springsteen and Barack Obama have a podcast together. Apparently, they're, like, really good friends in real life. And so they just do a podcast of them discussing stuff. And I looked at the description of their of the first, whatever, the top podcast that showed up in a list of them for Barack and uh, Bruce. And they were discussing how racism affected their lives growing up. So if that sounds good to you, you might go log into Spotify and listen to that. And I guess I want to say a little bit more about the consequentialist thing. Um, I mean, people are not evil. People are not evil. The people who are completely wrong and don't believe all the stuff that I know to be true, they're still not evil. They're annoying. They're frequently female. They're white. Sometimes their name is Karen. But they're not evil. But, you know, a lot of people... Race. Like, race is the thing that people spread misinformation about, lie about, withhold evidence about. Don't go for the truth. It's like, you know, if you're at the New York Times and you're talking about Asian hate crimes... You just leave out the part that black people commit most of them. And you say to yourself, well, the consequences of me leaving out those facts is I've helped black people. And if you're a Harvard sociologist who's looking into racism and you find out that America is the least racist country on the planet and that whites are the least racist people in America, well, you just, you just don't publish that paper, you know? You withhold that evidence. You're not exactly, you're not lying. You're not spreading misinformation. You just don't mention it. And you think you've helped black people. And maybe you have. And so you get the idea. But basically, there's a ton of people doing a, fun, a ton of stuff like that. And they're doing it because they think they're doing the right thing. 
And as I've mentioned before, Black Lives, the conspiracy theory of Black Lives Matter has caused the murder of 5,000 black people. And so, whatever. You definitely don't let your brain process that one because then all your misinformation and lying and withholding of information doesn't feel so good. So you just, you just, you just, you just keep that one at bay and you keep thinking of yourself as a good person. Gad Sad brings up a couple uh, fun examples of how completely bankrupt sociologists are. So there was a Jewish PhD candidate, you know, getting her PhD, uh, and she wanted to do a study about how the IDF, that's the Israeli Defense Force, the Israeli Army, she wanted to do a study about how the Israeli Army is raping Palestinian women. And so she studied it, and the answer was they've raped zero Palestinian women, not a one. But, you know, before she started this study, she had her outcome in mind. Anyway, so what does that mean when they uh, didn't rape a single Palestinian woman? That means they just, you know, they think the Palestinians are animals. They're not even worthy of being raped. That's how racist they are. Makes you wonder what the sweet spot is. You're not racist, but you're not a raper. Like if you did a half a rape? I don't know. If you grabbed one butt, would that, would that be the sweet spot? And then there was a Canadian woman... PhD candidate, and she wanted to show how Islamophobic Canada was. So she put on a hijab for 18 days, you know, and she's like, she was getting ready for people to be, you know, spitting on her, cursing her, hitting her. Anyways, it turns out everyone was just super, super nice to her everywhere. Everyone in Canada, just super nice to her, like nicer than normal. Aha, right? That's the problem. So her dissertation was that their latent homophobia, or sorry, Islamophobia, it made them be extra nice to compensate for how much they hated Muslims. Twitter handle at Religion of Woke, and thanks for listening.